Hey, welcome back to Not Your Mana. I'm going to share with you a sermon I gave a couple weeks ago, and it's out of Luke 7, and I'll go ahead and let it speak for itself. At the end, we actually do communion together, and so I actually want to invite you to do that with us if you want to grab something to do communion with when we get to that point. Um, probably during these COVID days, we maybe A, don't gather, or B, don't uh, share the Lord's Supper the way that we sometimes do other times. And so it's just a good practice. It's a good practice to remember when we take his body and blood and put it in us. They re- he really is alive and living in us. And so just a good sacrament and reminder. And so if you want to join us, join on in. And it's true that he's alive and living in you, whether you take communion or not. So, you know, there's that. Anyway, here you go. Luke 7. Enough of that. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, will you just be in our midst this morning? Help us to see what you want us to see. Open our eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, make your word come alive to us this morning. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke 7, which I hope that you've been reading along with us in Luke um, and Luke 7 so good. Like, I don't have a lot of chapters that I'm like, oh, I really, but I actually really have an affinity for Luke 7. So lucky I got to preach about it, but I only get to preach about a little bit of it because, you know, that's how this works. So I hope you read the rest of it. Or, you know, maybe I'll talk about more on my podcast. I have no idea what he's going to ask me to do next. So which is one step at a time. So let's start right at the beginning of Luke 7. And it says this, when Jesus had finished saying all of this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Okay, so when he finished, when he just finished saying what? Well, it's what Tyler talked to you about last week. Um, Tyler said this so richly, and I hope you heard this. And if you didn't, this is what he said. He said that the politics of the kingdom of God require maximum love of our enemy, maximum love of the outcast, maximum love of the marginalized, and maximum love of those on the fringes. That is what the politics of the kingdom of God is. And then he called it this. Tyler said it was that Jesus was calling us to promiscuous love of the enemy, that he was calling us to this wild, free, breaking through walls kind of love, that he goes, this is how I have called you to love your enemy and the outcast and those on the fringes. And that is what causes the kingdom of God to come. And so Jesus had just finished saying this. And then he goes into Capernaum. And there, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask him, saying, Hey, will you come and heal my servant? And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly earnestly with him and said, This man is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. Okay, a centurion, if you don't know, it's a Roman military officer. And a centurion is over 100 soldiers, like, you know, century, 100 years, century. And okay, he is over 100 soldiers. He's a Roman military official. The Roman military official asks the Jewish elders to go find Jesus. I think that's interesting, right? He doesn't go himself. He doesn't send his Roman people. He sends the Jewish elders. He says, hey, will you go ask Jesus to come and heal my servant? But I think it's interesting that he says that the, that the people say, this man is worthy for you to grant this. 
They're like saying, hey, Jesus, you know how, because how do Jews normally feel about the Romans who are occupying their territory? Not so great, right? But the Jewish officials go, hey, this guy, he's different. He loves our nation, and he actually built us our synagogue. So he is worthy for you to grant this. What an interesting thing. I mean, even like in our current political culture, where we are really busy drawing lines about who is worthy and who is not and who is in and who is out. And these people are trying to go, hey, this one might appear to be out, but he's actually in. He's worthy. Interesting. Okay, so Jesus goes with them. And he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. I think that that's really interesting, too, that the Jewish leaders are saying, hey, this man is worthy. He's a big deal. You should do this. You should grant him what he requests. And that the man himself is saying, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. I was not even worthy to come and ask you myself. So he's saying, I am not worthy. And the other folks are saying that he is. And we know that at the end of the story, Jesus does say the word, and the servant is healed. And he says, that I, ha- he says I tell you the truth, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. He says, this is, this is faith in a shocking place. At this moment, we find faith of a centurion in an unexpected place. And I want to show you one more thing in this story. Right at the beginning, verse 2, and it says, The centurion servant who the master valued highly was sick and about to die. This Roman official valued this servant very highly. Surely, the, if this servant died, surely he could have gotten another Surely this isn't that big a deal. But no, he values him highly so much that he's like, oh, can you go ask Jesus? I'm not even worthy, but could you, could you go ask him? We find this centurion valuing this servant. And I think what we're seeing here is preciousness found in an unexpected place. This story tells us of two unexpected things. And one is the faith of the centurion in an unexpected place. And one is the preciousness of this servant that we probably didn't see coming. So this is the question I want to ask you, is are we a people who see faith in the unexpected, who see preciousness in the unexpected, and do we have eyes to see that where God sees that, or do we see that where we like to see that? How certain are we of this is how the world should be seen, and this is who is worthy, and this is who is not? Or this is who is in, and this is who is out. And this is how certain I am that I am right about how I think about things. How easily are we able to go, God, can you show me how you see this? Because what if there's preciousness somewhere we didn't expect it to be? Or what if there's faith somewhere we didn't expect it to be? What if, what if that is what happens in the kingdom of God? All right, we are going to go to the last story of the chapter, which is, it starts in verse 36, and it's when Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house. So, now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So, I think this kind of begs the question is, who is worthy to sit at the table? Apparently, the Pharisee is worthy to sit at the table. 
And Jesus is also worthy to sit at the table. Um, and so Jesus goes to that house. I want to take a little detour for just a second. I just learned this, and it kind of blew my mind, and I didn't know if it might blow yours. So let's go ahead and talk about it. So Pharisees. Pharisees, when I think of Pharisees, I think like the Bible bullies or like the religious people and the, the people that Jesus is kind of mad and irritated at, right? And so I want to talk to you about where the Pharisees came from, where, where these people of the, this, they're a huge character in the New Testament. This is where they came from. Let me set the stage. 167 BC. So pre-Jesus, we're going to say about 150 years because my math is always bad. Okay, so about 150 years before Jesus shows up, the nation of Israel is being ruled by the Syrians. And the Syrians have a very Greek culture, okay? So now they have, the Syrians have made it illegal for a lot of Jewish things to happen. So you can't celebrate the Sabbath. You can't have your feasts. You are not allowed to sacrifice in your temple. You are not allowed to circumcise your children. There is a, there is a large problem happening here. So the Jews feel very, very, very oppressed. Not big fans of the Syrians. Not big fans of Greek culture. Okay, they don't like that Greek culture has invaded their holy city. So, so much so that the ruler of the Syrians named Antiochus Epiphanes, he decides it's going to be a really good idea to set up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. If you know anything about Jewish culture, that should make you start to squirm. And then he sacrificed a pig on the altar in front of Zeus. Those things in the mind of a Jew, are like, this is the worst case scenario. So that causes Israel to blow a gasket. There are these men called the Maccabees, and they go, heck no, we, enough is enough, we're done, we're out. And so they rise up, they stage a revolt, they actually win, and they kick the Syrians out. And they're like, we're free. <sighs> okay, if you know the story of Hanukkah, insert it here. If you don't, it's okay. So then, out of the ashes of this rebellion and this victory come a really significant movement of holiness. Because of this, there was a kind of a cause and effect thing that had been set up in the Old Testament law, which God had said, if you obey me and you do what I command you to do, then you will be blessed and you will be at safety in your land and no one will make you afraid. But if you disobey me and do not follow my commands, you will be ruled by your enemies and you're, you will live under their oppression. So at this moment, they go, huh, we've lived a lot of the oppression, apparently because of our disobedience. What if we decided to be obedient? And then maybe we could live safe, safely in our land and no one would make us afraid anymore. So there became this drive among the people. They're like, what if we lived holy? Like, what if we figure out what in the world the Torah says? And what if we actually did it? Maybe we could be a people who is free. Maybe we could actually be the people that God created us to be. And we could actually stand in this place where God asked us to stand. And we could rule our nation and worship our God. So there was this culture of holiness that rose up. And if I was there... I would have wanted to be a part of that. I'd be like, yes, let's do that. It was this Maccabean fire that turned into this holy pursuit of God and his ways. And say, let's love him with wholehearted devotion and do what he's asking us to do, that we might be free and be who we are made to be. And if I was that person, I would have been a Pharisee. This is who the Pharisees are. They go, let's be holy. Let's do this thing. 
So we fast forward 150 years, and then we meet the Pharisees that we find in the New Testament when we read our Gospels. And we know that something's gone a little sideways. And Jesus isn't a huge fan of them and the way that they're walking out of this. And it made me wonder why. Because when I think of it, I go, gosh, I think their heart was good. I think what they wanted, the holiness that they were asking to live in and that they were calling the people to, I think was a divine and good call. It was a call of obedience. But I think they went a little sideways. So much so that when God himself is walking in front of them, they miss it and they don't understand it. What they were looking for was in front of their eyes and they're missing it because they've gotten so stuck in the holiness and then they kind of built a fence around the law and said, let's not, in order to not do this, let's make sure we don't do any of this either. And so what had happened was that they'd gotten really tunnel visioned on what it means to be holy and to follow the law which I think was a good place to start, but it got too big and they got off track so much so that they were missing this. It reminds me of the verse, it's, um, it's Isaiah 30, 21, and it says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I wonder if that was the part that the Pharisees had dropped. Had they stopped going, God, I want to follow you. And they stopped listening to that voice behind them and going, which way do you want me to walk? Because sometimes God will say, okay, start walking this way. And then he'll go, turn. And if you're not listening, you'll just keep walking the way that you were walking. Because God told me to walk this way. And you go, well, sometimes God asks you to turn. And then he asks you to turn again. And it takes a lot of listening to the Holy Spirit and just your presence with the presence of God that we would be able to follow him as he leads us on a journey of obedience. It's not one thing all of the time. So could it be that the Pharisees were just committed to an old command, that they were eating yesterday's manna still, and that they were going, surely this is the way. And Jesus is going, can I, what if you turned? Could you see me? Because I'm up to something new and it's bigger and it's deeper. And maybe you missed part of it. Is there, and so I just think, can we just, I want us to take a second and just look inside and think, this is what the Pharisees are like. And do they get so committed to what they are so certain about that they're missing the voice behind them that is leading them into what the Lord might be up to today or tomorrow that might be in a different way than where we started. So where is the Pharisee in me? And where is the Pharisee in you? Where am I so certain that I am right, that I'm missing what the Lord might be calling me to today? And where have I become so focused on yesterday's command that I might be missing what he's asking us to do today? We all have a Pharisee in us. We all have judgments in our hearts that we hold. We all have ways that we are fiercely committed to something. And is it something that we are constantly holding open-handed and listening to the voice behind us and going, teach me how to walk? To the right or to the left, how would you have us walk? All right, now that we're familiar with our character, let's go back to the story. Okay, so Jesus is at one of the Pharisees' house to have dinner with him. They have reclined at the table. When a woman 
who had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Okay, so we've got a woman showing up at the Pharisee's house uh, who had lived a sinful life in that town. That is Bible talk, for she's a prostitute. And she hears that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house, and she goes, I'm going. What must have been going on in this woman to do that, to go, I'm going to go to a Pharisee's house? Like, how driven must her repentance have been inside of her that she is like, I cannot wait one more moment. Like, I think even if I was a prostitute and wanted to repent, I think I maybe would have been like, I'm going to wait outside, and then as soon as he comes out, I'll just, I'll go ahead and talk to him. Like, she goes, no, I have to go. I have to go now. And where's one place where this prostitute is not welcome? At the Holy Pharisee's house. And so she just goes, I'm going. And then I think this is really intentional. It says that she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. She brought it. She didn't buy it. She already had it. She already had this perfume. I think this is the perfume she uses to turn her tricks. I think this is part of her trade. And that she goes, I need this. And this is what repentance looks like for her. That she's like, I'm going to take this thing that I have, this perfume that I use when I'm a prostitute to lure men, and I am going to dump it on Jesus' feet. Go, I am done with this old life, and I am dumping it out on your feet. And that is her repentance. So I think that that part was really intentional. But you guys know when you like messy cry, when you like really lose your marbles and you just do you ever plan that do you ever go and do you know where I'd really like to do it in a Pharisee's house where I'm not welcome like she goes there so I think that the dumping of the perfume the showing up at the Pharisee's house the dumping of the perfume I think that is intentional and then she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wet his feet with her tears. I think this part is just starts bubbling out, that she's like, I'm repenting, I'm dumping. And then she was like, oh, my gosh. And I think it's like the messy. I mean, how messy would it have to get before you'd be like, I got to mop this up. My only option's my hair. So, like, like she, I think she's snotting all over Jesus' feet. Like, she was like, this is such a great moment in my life. So she's just all over his feet. And then she's like, oh, now I, so then she takes, no, and taking your hair down is, this, is like a loose thing. Like, that's what a prostitute would do is have your hair down. So, and so she's got this long hair, so it's probably up because she's probably trying to be proper. And then at that moment, she's like, ah, oh, what do I do? Take it down. Starts, starts mopping up his hair or his feet with her hair. What a crazy act that is just this this repentance it's just like this cascade of repentance and surrender and going all just I'm so sorry I'm so done here's my perfume here's all my stuff and I'm just ah so everything in her is coming out and then we have the judgments of the Pharisee this beautiful thing is happening what does Simon see when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So he judges the woman, that she's a prostitute, that she's a sinner, and now she's touching him. And he's judging Jesus. He's saying, If, you, if he were really a prophet, he would know. Right? Interesting. He says this to himself then Jesus answered him. <laughs> Talk about a prophet. He goes like, I heard your voice in your head. 
Simon, you said that to yourself, and then Jesus will go ahead and answer him. Sounds like prophety to me. So Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said in his most honorable Pharisee voice. The, the men owed, two men owned money to a certain moneylender, and one owned, owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which do you think will love him more? I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled, Simon replied. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. So he's saying one has a big debt to be forgiven and one has a little debt to be forgiven. Which one do you think causes a more extravagant outpouring of love? Well, I suppose the bigger debt. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. I love that. He turns toward the woman. I think he's looking right in the woman's eyes, and yet he's talking to Simon. And he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see that she was a woman who has now been forgiven much? And that is what you're seeing is that she's loving much. And I do think he's saying, and Simon, maybe you think you just only have a little to be forgiven. And you don't appear to love me very much. He's saying, do you see this woman? Do we have eyes to see this woman? The way that the Pharisee sees her has a lot of judgment in it. Oh, you sinner. And Jesus has got eyes to see. Do you see her repentance? Do you see what is happening in her heart? Do you see that somebody who has been locked in this cage of sin has broken free and has started a whole new life? And look at the love that is pouring out of her. Simon, have you ever loved me like that? Have you ever known this kind of love? I know that it's true in my life. I sinned pretty big, pretty early. And when I understood God's forgiveness of me, it caused me to fall in love in a way that goes, I, I don't know much else, but I do know that I love him. That kind of forgiveness, that kind of freedom, a prostitute turning her life around leads to much love, much freedom. In Psalm 51, um, David writes, A broken and contrite spirit you will not despise, O God. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. I think at that moment, that's, this is what we're watching Jesus do to this woman. A broken and contrite heart. Like, is there any clearer picture of that than this woman just losing it all over Jesus' feet at this Pharisee's house? And God says, I will not despise that. I will I will love and honor that and say, do you see the power of a broken and contrite heart? 
He also says in Isaiah 42.3, he said, A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out. When you are broken at the end of your rope, a smoldering wick, you go, I've hardly even got it together, that he goes, I will not put that out. I will come and I, I see you. I see you when you're a broken reed. I see you when you're a smoldering wick. When you have nothing left, I see you. That is the kind of God that he is. So I think he's saying to Simon, he goes, you want to be a Pharisee? You want to talk about holiness? Well, then open your eyes because this is the road that we're on. This kind of repentance, this kind of turning toward the Lord, this kind of I am done with my old ways and I'm going to follow him. This is beautiful repentance. What can God do with a bruised reed and with a smoldering wick that throws itself at Jesus' feet and weeps and say, says, I am nothing and I am broken, but I am yours I think, again, we find preciousness in a very unexpected place. We find preciousness in this prostitute. And Jesus can see it, even though the Pharisee couldn't. And we find unexpected faith in this girl. Just like we did it with a centurion. We, what happens when we see preciousness and faith in places that we did not expect it? Can we say, yes, this is who is worthy to come to the table? The truth is none of us are worthy to come to the table, but that Jesus makes us worthy when we fall and we repent. And he goes, oh, I see you, and you are welcome. He changes that story. So where in us, we all, I think we all have all of these characters inside of us. Where do we have the woman in us who's so broken and who's so desperate for the Lord and who's, who knows the places where she's dirty and broken and the outcast and the marginalized, and she goes, I know who I am. Where's that in us? Are we honest about that, about the places in us that are deeply sinful? And deeply wanted to do it our own way instead of God's way. Do we see her inside of us? Where's the Pharisee inside of us that is quick to judge and to say who is in and who is out and who is worthy and who is not? And are we willing to take those pieces and hold them out? In front of Jesus and go, these are my, we all have judgments. We all have stuff that we think about people. That's just who we are. It's part of how we're raised and where we came from. We all have judgments inside of us. But when I hold something, can I go, this is how I feel. This is my judgment. Jesus, how do you see this? Will you give me your eyes? How do, when he, she says, Simon, how do you see this woman? Do you see her? When I go, do I see this person that I have judgments about? Do I see this person who's different than me? or who voted different than me, or who lives different than me, or who looks different than me? Do I go, God, how do you see them? And then am I listening to the voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. Are we a people who are able to live out of extravagant, promiscuous love for the enemy, the outcast, the marginalized, the fringes, the sinners? Could we do that? 
Could we be those kind of people? I believe that God is wanting to break off a religious spirit out of this church and out of the kingdom of God, that he's going, stop it. Stop being those Pharisees who go, I know how to see this. I am sure how this is to be done. We don't know. We don't know how this is to be done, but we have a God that we are trying to follow who does know how this should be done. So listen to the voice behind you and let him lead you. God, will you show us how this is done? Okay. And I also think we all have a Jesus inside of us. If, we have a, if we've asked Jesus into our heart, we actually have Jesus living inside of us. And so could we go, how do I be Jesus in this moment? If Jesus were to walk into this situation, if Jesus were to walk into King Supers, if Jesus were to walk into the situation at my work, what would he do? How would he see this woman? And could we live out of that? Okay, so here in a second, we're going to take communion. So if you guys want to grab your little things and make all the noise, that'd be real good. Um, I just want to go back and just visit uh, Micah 6.8, which says this, is what is good and what does the Lord require of you? And it's to act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And I think it's that walk humbly with your God peace that feels like it's stalking me this morning. To listen to the voice behind you and let the Lord lead you into whatever scenario he wants to lead you in. And it might look different, and it might not feel at home in your DNA, and it might not be something that you're like, yep, this is what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to believe and the way I wanted to vote and the way I wanted to move forward. And the Lord says, you trust me. What does it mean to actually walk humbly with our God? What does it mean to not say, I am certain how this should go, but I'm going to trust the one who is certain how this should go? That takes humility to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly. But this is what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And I think this day, I think the Pharisee forgot. And I don't want to be a people who forget. I don't want to be a people who don't remember what it's like to walk humbly. Because I'm so certain and I'm so arrogant and I'm so sure that I'm right. So that's what I want us to surrender this morning. So let's... Let's take our, our communion. Take your, take your bread out. Hold it in your hand. And I'm reminded this morning of the verse that says, freely you've received, so freely you give. Freely you have received mercy as you fell on the feet of the Lord. Freely you have received forgiveness. So freely give it away. So as you take the body into your body today, Freely you've received his mercy, so let it strengthen you to give it away. Take and eat. And then as you take the cup, I want you to remember that there's the blood that covered all of your sin all of the places where you were dirty and broken, the places where you're bruised reed, the smoldering wick, that the blood covers that for you. And may you be a conduit of that into the world that you live in.
Take a drink. So God, we receive your mercy and your blessing. Help us listen to the voice behind us. Help us to be people who bring the kingdom of God to bear on the world around us. Help us not to be people who are certain, but people who are humble and who follow in a way that we are not sure what it's going to look like. God, we trust you. We need you. We surrender to you. Holy God, show us the way.